Hello, everybody, and welcome to Season 1, Episode 8 of Eno Tools University. This time, all by myself, one-on-one -on -one with you, talking about knowing the marketplace on presses. If you're shopping for a wine grape press, you should find this to be a rather informative episode. I guess I'll have to do an introduction for myself. I'm Joe, the founder of Enotools.com. I have been affiliated with seven or eight different manufacturers over the years trying to provide solutions for each step of commercial scale wine manufacturing, or you could even argue alcoholic beverage manufacturing. Since roughly 2004, I have been actively servicing and selling Carlson Crush equipment, including their presses. Something I've noticed over the years, because I've talked to so many people who were at whatever stage of the lifespan of a winery, whether they were a startup or planning to open the doors as a medium to large size winery from day one, or whether they were an established winery outgrowing their current press, I've had plenty of conversations about presses over the years. And it seems like the biggest challenge, the, the thing that causes people to scratch their head from the beginning when they're looking for a press very first question is typically capacity. So when sizing a press, here's a really easy way to figure out what size press you need. If you are pretty familiar with your ratio of reds to whites, in other words, how likely is it that most of your fruit will be whole cluster going into the press? Um, or will you be doing mostly distemmed and crushed whites? Do you do more whites than reds? Is it 60-40? Uh, once you arrive at that conclusion that you have a certain ratio of reds to whites and you're going to do so much of the, of the fruit in the cluster, that's one of the components. Once you've identified that number, you also want to think about the length of the workday and regardless of the size of your press, the time that it takes to fill a press, run a program, empty a press, to turn around batches, whether it's the same variety or if you're switching varieties, there could be a little more downtime in between if you're switching varieties. You should count on either two or three press runs in a day if you'd like to uh, avoid mutiny on the crush path. So that being said, one important question to ask when shopping for presses after you've identified the size you're looking for, ask about minimum loading, ask about maximum loading. And then uh, when we get into press operation here, a couple of bullet points down the list, we'll talk about a way to go over capacity on a press. But we Americans are at a disadvantage on sizing presses because typically they're sized in hectoliters. Uh, we don't have the luxury of referring to it as an X ton press most of the time because manufacturers insist that we talk in hectoliters. So let's keep it easy. Just for reference, 10 hectoliters is roughly equivalent to a one-ton bin full of field fruit. Now, we're not talking about uh, the scenario where you have a mechanical harvester which does the distemming for you. We're talking about whole cluster fruit in a one-ton bin is roughly equivalent to a 10 hectoliter. With that in mind, here's where it gets clear as mud. For example, you would think a 30 hectoliter press should hold three field tons of fruit. Well, the exciting part about that is a 30 hectoliter press could hold up to 10 tons of fermented reds. So there's a, there's a lot of confusion about mentally conceptualizing the internal capacity of a press. 
Quick side note, I should have started right off from the beginning saying bladder presses because this uh, only a few of these concepts we're about to discuss or I'm about to talk to you about uh, actually translate directly over to basket presses. Basket presses are a different animal. Typically, a basket press is vertical with a drum pushing down on a basket full of fruit. The interesting thing about a basket press, they're typically not very large in capacity. You might see one as large as one ton. The advantage to a basket press is turning batches around faster. Basket presses also have the reputation of being extremely gentle. In, our, in other words, a high quality of juice, possibly at the expense of some yield. On average, you want to count on 160 gallons of juice per ton of fruit. We have seen as high as 180 gallon with no detriment to quality. A basket press, if you buy a, a spare tub, which is a terminology we use for the big metal object with fork pockets on the bottom that you could situate right on the frame of the basket press, slide into service and run another program. Having that spare tub enables much faster batch turnaround time with a basket press. And there's also the gee whiz factor. And a basket press has a reputation for having a higher pressure capability. And this is true. Where a bladder press might be maxed out at two bar, a basket press sometimes can go as high as five bar. My company offers American-made basket presses, which are beautiful. They're straight up eye candy. And if you're planning on having a tour at a small to medium-sized boutique-style winery and can justify the basket press, Maybe because of its higher pressure capability, maybe you're doing dessert wine or sparkling wine or something very delicate like a Pinot Noir. Um, you might be able to find a way to rationalize the purchase of a basket press. And I say rationalize because typically a basket press is more expensive per pound of capacity than a bladder press. Now back to, uh, back to the bladder press world. So in a horizontal aspect, Typically a bladder press is, uh, it would take up the space of a good sized rectangle and they're much longer than they are tall or wide. Picture a tank laying on its side with a door and some perforations. And these days all modern bladder presses have a membrane on one side, which when the press goes through the inflate stage, presses towards the opposite side, which is typically perforated and facing down during the program. So um, to picture the way that thing works, you, know, you just have uh, one side of the press that moves towards the other and it's flexible, um, sort of like a very large tarp almost, uh, something of that equivalent, which um, is typically very gentle, but doesn't have the high pressure capability of a basket press. Most bladder presses on the market today go up to two bar also known as two times 14.7 PSI. Let's call it 30 PSI just for fun. So you're, if you're only able to exert 30 PSI on the fruit, then you, know, you can imagine that it's not over squeezing things. They are pretty gentle. So I think that about covers it for sizing. Um, my company offers presses from eight hectoliter all the way up to 150 hectoliter. And our customer in Missouri who owns one of our 150 hectoliters tells me that they can fit an entire truckload of grapes into uh, one press room. So imagine that a 30 ton capacity press. We offer them and they are 
that one's not even considered large. We have another customer in Missouri who bought uh, a press from another manufacturer, which I believe is 320 hectoliters. So it can be as big or small as you can imagine. So powering your press. While you're shopping for presses, think about this. Most grown-up commercial scale presses require three-phase. I'll say that again. You have to have three-phase power to run a serious press. If you're used to the startup phase or that awkward in-between size where you're in no man's land, if you started out making wine in the garage and now you're stepping up and going commercial, there's kind of a there's always a little shock there for folks when they realize that commercial grade equipment does typically run on three phase power. This is where we enter an awkward part of the discussion where I upset a few electricians here and there. Some guys have gone out and carved out an existence for themselves in heavily populated wine regions, catering to wineries, offering electrical services. That's great. I think that uh, having an electrician around on speed dial who's, who is familiar with your process and your life cycle um, probably knows the urgency of harvest, understands certain things about wine, like the demand for cold stabilizing and things like that. So they're going to know what you need on cold stabilizing days and bottling days and, and during harvest. Um, it's not mandatory though, any good electrician electrical contractor will be quite useful in the beginning as well as down the road. So if you're in a location where three-phase power right off the pole or right at the corner of the building isn't available, rest assured you do not have to buy a digital on-demand phase converter. You don't have to go to that extent to offer three-phase power for your press. Other items in the building, I'm gonna I'm gonna stay in my own Ballywick here and stick to presses specifically. The press doesn't care if you're using a an $800 rotary phase converter or a $5,000 digital phase converter. Keep in mind that the brain on a press these days from most manufacturers is probably just as sophisticated, if not more sophisticated than a digital phase converter. And sometimes our presses can can turn on and demonstrate that they have faster reflexes than certain brands of digital phase converters. In other words, our presses now alert you to the fact that you don't have three-phase turned on or it's not getting three-phase. There'll be some kind of a warning on the screen. Not, uh, not the end of the day. We, we know how to work around that. If, if the power is weird, we can, we can coach you and, and get around the fact that that digital converter isn't kicking on fast enough. Um, not something necessarily to get worried about, but rest assured that the old school rotary phase converter on, hooked to a light switch on the outside of the building next to the crush pad would work just fine. And I can advise on how to size that. Um, another part of the power discussion is air. Regardless of the size of the press, um, somehow, sometimes you end up needing to, to plug in an outside airline. Smaller presses, not so much, but they handle their own inflation and deflation from a central compressor mounted on the machine in most cases. Now, notice that just about every brand of press on the market tends to have an onboard air compressor. And small presses typically don't have air-operated solenoids on controls, but you'll want compressed air in your, in your building anyway for other things. 
once the presses get larger. Here is where it gets fun. Imagine the time if you have a press which is operating at about half capacity and it's going through a cycle with seven or eight steps and maybe there are two or three iterations of each step. In other words, you fill the press full of fruit or you put in all the fruit you have to, to put in and you start a program and that program says, I'm going to go up to 0.2 bar, hold for three minutes. Then I'm going to deflate, rotate twice, and then go back up to 0.2 bar and hold that for three minutes. What if it does that three or four times? What if the press isn't fully loaded? I know for, for a fact, I can only speak about my brand of presses. Uh, we have no minimum loading. So we can run our presses all the way up to two bar empty. doesn't hurt them. Um, some manufacturers may not offer that. So let's just assume that it's safer always to run the press as full as you can. And it also wastes a heck of a lot less time. You'll spend a lot of time in your day waiting for that press to inflate and deflate during a program if it's underloaded. So once you get up to the 40 hectoliter size, my manufacturer offers the option to run outside air. And I'm sure we're not unique in that. I have seen other presses running on a central source of air, which is someplace else in the building. So you may have a line for compressed air on the bigger presses to operate solenoids and, and controls and possibly an in-feed valve on the end could be operated by air, things like that. But what I'm talking about is a hard pipe, an inch and a half or two inch hard line uh, attached to a remote air compressor with a large pressure reservoir, somewhere between 500 and 1500 gallons of, of air, of, excuse me, 500 to 1500 gallons of compressed air storage capacity. That would be fed by an air compressor anywhere from 10 to 25 horsepower. So we're talking about a larger scale operation here, but we offer the option to fill the press bladder during a program from an outside air source, which is fast. I saw in person a 50 hectoliter press, uh, one of ours that, that I did the install on. We, uh, this was the first 50 hectoliter I had seen hooked to an outside air source. In other words, house air. That house air connection allows that 50 hectoliter press to inflate its bladder up to operating pressure within about 20 seconds. So there is, uh, that's life changing. If you're a grizzled veteran of the crush pad and you've spent a lot of time, a lot of hours in your life waiting for the press to inflate and deflate, that's called a game changer. That will shorten your day. So when you're thinking about powering your press, remember three phase and plan on owning an air compressor. Now, operating a press. This is, um, this is probably the scariest part for the neophyte and soon becomes the favorite part. They're so easy. Just about everybody now, every brand of press out there is fairly easy to control. Modes of operation do matter. Now, only a couple of us out there offer a unique mode of operation, a theoretical third mode of operation. Now, I'll tell you what that means. In other words, most presses can be controlled manually. Typically during filling or cleaning, you're using manual controls, telling the switch, or excuse me, operating a switch or a knob to tell the press to inflate, deflate, or rotate 
or you know to open a door or things like that you want to have those manual controls to save time and you are of course assuming a certain amount of risk by using manual controls i don't think that any of us in the industry any of us vendors in the industry i don't think any of us like to hear the stories about the winemakers who don't use automatic programs uh, when you're when you have fruit in the press it should be rare and occasional that you're doing some kind of a manual intervention to to seek a certain pressure level or a certain amount of yield that should be a, an exception to the rule the rule should be that you use the automatic programs which are native to the machine and the reason i say that is because there are typically safeties uh, on the machine to prevent it from injuring itself and things like that and this would be sort of like I don't know if you were operating a car you wouldn't want to put the gas pedal to the floor with the parking brake on in reverse it just wouldn't be good for the vehicle so when you're operating 100 percent manual you have to think and you have to know the machine and you have to know what it likes and and you should uh you should have a rough understanding of what it could take to to injure it somehow so modes of operation and presses typically everyone offers manual or automatic automatic is for programs uh, manual is for filling and cleaning. Uh, in other words, filling, emptying, and cleaning. Now, what's unique about a couple of us in the industry is we offer a so-called third mode of operation, which I refer to as true manual. Our presses come standard with a way to, uh, to control them manually, which does not involve the brain of the press. Most of the presses on the market, if you're in manual mode, you're still using the PLC and the, and the touchpad. And ours has, you know, from the factory, ours comes with a way to control it in case of a failure of PLC or touchpad, which is great. It's sort of a get you home mode. We can show you during training, during installation, how to do that. I'm under the impression that one of my competitors offers this third mode of operation, but they do so at an upcharge. And in the case of manual controls, you will also see an analog pressure gauge positioned on the machine so that you are standing where you can see it while you're operating the manual controls. In our case, they are mounted on a handheld remote. Just to wrap up on operation, typically there are two modes, automatic for running programs, manual for filling, cleaning, emptying, etc. So, when we're discussing cleaning and emptying presses, something that is interesting, make sure before you order a press that you know how high off the ground the belly of the machine is. This matters because you don't want to have to have legs made in an emergency locally. And, you know, if you're shopping uh, all around and asking all manufacturers, a quick side note, you want to make sure that you know for sure what the press is made out of. I have shown up on site before to see a big beautiful brand new press which had a mild steel frame which was either painted or powder coated nonetheless mild steel rust and presses which are all stainless steel it might cost a little more to have stainless steel legs and, and everything else but it sure looks nice and they don't corrode the way mild steel does so make sure you know how high off the ground the press is because when you're emptying that thing wouldn't it be handy to be able to use pallet jacks and half-ton bins? Um, I think it would. You should be able to stack some, excuse me, position some half-ton bins side-by-side side, or whatever your arrangement is and be able to dump out your pumice and move along. 
at this point, you're thinking about cleaning the press. Well, if you're cleaning it at the end of the day and you're not about to run another batch of the same variety, you can save a tremendous amount of water by using your press pan or pump over sump filled about halfway with water attached to the pump of your choice and feeding the hose into the axial feed on the press just far enough to get water inside the press. With ours, I can picture this in my mind right now because I've trained so many people to do it. Um, it's kind of an aha moment when you see how much water you're saving by recirculating water through and having the water come through the open door of the press or out the drain holes and fall into a screen and then back into the press pan and so on and so on. Um, you do this, of course, while no one else is standing around on the crush pad. You're staying out of the way of the press. And you're, of course, watching it rotate and recirculate water while the pump is happily helping you to shorten your cleaning time by about 80%. One last thing to keep in mind about presses, no one has a monopoly on all of the good ideas. All presses, which are bladder presses, whether they are open style drain presses or closed style tank presses, picture a tank around a tank, the theory there being that we're exposing the juice or wine to less air and that's not something I'm willing to jump into on this episode. Maybe a future episode of a podcast, we could have a couple winemakers kick it back and forth. And probably what would happen is we would get three winemakers in the room. And we'd end up with five opinions on that. Uh, that being said, all presses in the horizontal configuration, which sque squeeze grapes using a bladder, which converges on the side of the tank, which is perforated, fundamentally are the same. They inflate, deflate, and rotate. You are the person deciding how much they inflate to, in other words, pressure and hold time, and how many times they rotate between steps of hold times. In our case, this is, uh, this is where I, can, I risk losing you. If you're, if you're following this so far, so far so good, here it comes. Our press, just for example, the presses that my company offers have 12 steps in each of their 12 memory slots for programs. So you could, theoretically, you can write 12 different programs which behave completely differently. You could have high pressure, no rotations, short hold times. You can do long hold times, you get the drift. These are all variables, easy to change. You can put as many steps in as you want. You can put as many iterations of each step in as you'd like, whatever's practical, uh, efficient, effective, etc. Where different manufacturers in the industry stand out. There's a couple of points. One is completely arguable, quality. Quality or value. Those are two terms which I think are easily confused. Value is when you paid the same or less and sacrificed nothing. Quality is when you got a good solid machine, which probably because of the way it was built and components used to build it, the way it looks once built, Way it performs, etc. All those boxes are checked, and it's one of those presses that would be easy to sell down the road. So it's good, it's good quality. But let's talk about what matters. When you sell a piece of equipment, you sell a promise. What you're trying to do is sell a customer what they expected, not necessarily just what they ordered. And if you're a pretty good vendor, if you're a good supplier, then you're gonna be prepared to be on speed dial 24-7, 365 and a quarter, always ready 
always willing to answer and help the customer when they have a question, when they need troubleshooting, when they need maintenance, etc. What the responsibility is when you are a vendor like me who sell who sells equipment to people who basically use some of the equipment only about once a year, but it has to work because grapes don't keep coming in year round. Harvest is one time a year. The secret to our great reputation with reliability on our equipment is not just that we use parts which are commonly available in industrial supply houses. It's not just that the machines are built specifically to the specifications of Carlson and Associates. It's the fact that we come out before harvest, wake the machines up and do maintenance at a very affordable price. And we keep those machines going. And I think this is key with any piece of crush equipment. If you are familiar with the machine, if you're familiar with equipment and vaguely familiar with electronics and mechanics in general, you can start to spot things which may break. And if you stay ahead of that, great. Now here's the challenge. If you do go out and buy a press for your winery and you're very confident in your buying decision, you need to make sure that you know where the parts are. I've seen customers fall for the song and dance that the, the supplier has all the parts in stock. I don't claim to have all the parts in stock for our machines, but we know where to get them. Carlson has all the parts in stock in California. Most of my customers are on the right-hand side of the country. We have to rely on things like industrial supply houses or Joe's stash of parts in his truck. I can't say that I've got them all. My garage is full of plastic bins that I travel with for things that I have seen fail in the past. And these are common components. We're talking about relays, switches, transformers, circuit breakers, things like that. But what Carlson has done, their stroke of genius on presses is we use all the parts that are commonly available in the U.S. So any medium-sized city is going to have an electrical supply store that has those things in it. Now, the parts that are unique to the press are in stock at Carlson. The things which aren't, you know, something you'll find on another piece of equipment. Example, a bladder. You'll find the press bladder in the shop at Carlson. Press ownership can seem frightening to some. It's not a cheap piece of equipment. So if you think about it like this, you get a section 179 deduction for investing in equipment. Your accountant can help you with depreciation. Even if you finance the machine, there are still ways to justify owning it. But all that out the window, because I'm not an accountant, think about it like this. How many dollars worth of wine did you sell last year? Well, you can turn around and look at your press and thank it for that. They pay for themselves fairly quickly from that perspective. So thank you very much for listening to yet another episode of Eno Tools University brought to you by enotools.com. This is Joe. I'm always at your service, easy to reach. My email is joe at enotools.com. My phone number is 607-426-0434. Call me and talk about what you need in a press, and hopefully I can guide you in the right direction. Thanks again for listening.